the Center for Interfaith Cooperation in Indianapolis, Indiana, is dedicated to building peaceful dialogue among and between different faith communities with the help of a diverse board of faith leaders who have incredible stories that inform their interfaith work. Today we have Jim Cotterell. So excited to have you here today. Glad to be here. Thank you. And so to start, Jim, I would love to hear just how you got involved with the CIC and maybe what that has meant to you over the years. Okay. Yeah, I would say... um, it started, when I look back quite a few years ago, really, even though I've only been on the board for about two years now, but uh, I was in business here in Indianapolis for years, mm. 30-some years with my wife and different endeavors, and um, I, we went on vacation, actually, and I was out on a bicycle ride with my son, and it happened to be at night, and we were up in Michigan on Mackinac Island where oh, there are yeah. no cars, oh. just all horses mm-hmm. and bikes, riding bikes and I hit a dip in the road that I didn't see and uh, flipped over the handlebars of my bicycle. And I woke up a week later in a trauma center and I was breathing on a ventilator and I couldn't move from the neck down, so I was paralyzed. I didn't know at the time that they had told my wife that they were sure I'd never walk again. They just didn't know if I'd have use of my arms and hands. So she's preparing for me with life in a wheelchair and I have no idea of any of this. But I've just got a lot of time because I can't talk to anybody because I've got this pipe in my mouth. I'm breathing on a ventilator. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of time kind of praying and talking to God and really kind of doing some soul searching about uh, why, first of all, I was even allowed to live. Because Nancy, my wife, told me that I had expired a couple times during that week and they had revived me again. So I just kind of felt like, oh, God, why'd you bring me back? You know, you had me. I was gone. Why did you choose, what in the world could you use me for? And I just didn't know what it was. And I just assumed that it had to be something more significant than starting another business. You Mm -hmm. know, that didn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was just praying about it a lot. And I saw all these people serving me. And I kind of got the idea, maybe what you're trying to tell me, because I can't do anything for myself for the first time in my life. I'm completely helpless. Mm -hmm you might be trying to tell me that it's my turn to serve because I've been served by others all my life and never really thought about it that way. So I just started looking for opportunities to serve and I kept, you know, just saying if you can if if you have something in mind, please tell me, that kind of thing. Well, uh, fortunately during the about two weeks after this time of this week in intensive care, I started getting some movement in my fingers and my arms and hands and then my toes moved on my left foot so Mm, it was really exciting that as the swelling went down in my spinal column perhaps I'd be able to regain some movement so they flew me back to Indianapolis I went through the rehab hospital of Indiana they got me out of bed and started moving my legs and Mm. I was able to walk out about two weeks after I went in there so I'm just feeling like wow god I'm 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 all yours whatever it is Mm -hmm. I'm there And I found some opportunities to serve, and it felt really fulfilling. And I ended up running a a founding and running with a group here, a Christian foundation. So for 10 years, we raised money. We were giving it out. I thought all that was great. And during the same period of time, and this is kind of where CIC comes in, Mm -hmm. uh, my uh, pastor of our church, who was real involved in the interfaith community, um, gave a sermon one day. And it wasn't about interfaith. But it was about, he gave us these little medallions, 
and they had that prayer on it, uh, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace where there's hatred, let me sow love. So for some reason, that appealed to me so much, I remember putting it in my pocket and thinking, I'm going to keep this. I'm, I'll just put it away. I don't know why, but I just really like the sound of that. Yeah. So as I was serving, I started thinking, you know, probably that means my serving is supposed to be more in the area of where there's hatred, hmm. let me sow love. So I started mm -hmm. kind of concentrating on that, and I put it on my keychain where, where I still have it. I'll show it oh, to cool. you before we leave. But um, so we moved from the Christian Foundation to founding what we call Unite Indy now, which is to bring this community together to serve the less fortunate in our community. So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of suburbanites joining as volunteers and giving if they don't have time to volunteer, whatever they can do, yeah. we're trying to inform them of the needs that are really great right here in Indianapolis mm -hmm. and get them to serve. And then somehow, oh, I know what it was, my wife and I wrote a book about generosity, mm -hmm. and we're interviewing different people, and we decided, and I think it was, I was kind of praying about it, and I got this feeling, we're supposed to take this way beyond Christianity, because I was working mm -hmm. in a Christian foundation at the right. time, so I'm thinking about biblically what does scripture say about giving and generosity, but all of a sudden I thought, well, wait a minute, everybody doesn't come from the same place. Our scripture is not everybody's yeah, source. Very true. So we decided to look at different religions. And that's when I got a hold of Charlie Wiles, who's mm -hmm. at the Center for Interfaith Cooperation. Somebody said, you need to talk to Charlie because he can lead you to other people. Mm -hmm. So I called Charlie, had a meeting with him, and he gave me names of other people. So I started calling others and learning what their faith said about generosity. And something just drew me back to Charlie over a period of time and we got together and he ended up calling me and asking me if I consider being on the board mm. and I thought wow this is perfect because <laughs> we're so divided today in this country and around yeah. the world that if there's ever a time for somebody to jump in and try to sell love it's now so mm -hmm. that was a long answer to no, one question but that. that's kind of yeah. how I got here definitely yeah so I heard you say that generosity has been prevalent in what you've seen in other faiths. Yeah. So can you speak a little to that and how you've discovered that? And is that through dialogue or through acting together through service and seeing those commonalities come together? I'd say both. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'd say um, I learned more about that at the time that we were doing research for the book. So it really was amazing to me how similar teachings were. Mm. You know, people use different words, but they said basically the same thing. Mm -hmm. So whether people were Christians, Jews, Muslim, uh, you know, Islam, Islamic faith, whatever, there were the same things were said about taking care of your brothers and sisters and mm -hmm. your neighbors, not just meaning the people next door, but obviously right. you're yeah. like the whole city. So when we started Unite Indy, we said this this is a, of Christian origin only by virtue of the fact that Nancy and I are Christians. And we decided that this would honor God, that we go out and do this work. Uh, and so that's why we got into it. But we started with the whole um, premise that we're here to serve anybody of any color, of any faith, of any mm -hmm. origin, of any 
sexual orientation. That's just not a concern of ours at all. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe that Jesus loved everybody. So our job is to do the same. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're trying to approach it. So we welcomed everybody to serve with us. So in those terms, we've had been contacted by organizations of people of other faiths and we've said, yeah, come on along. And it's great. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. And so you spoke about this incident in Mackinac. Yeah. Um, before that, was there also a Christian faith that you worked around and centered your life around? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up, I always tell people I grew up thinking I was a Christian because my parents told me I was, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. So that was it kind of mainly. Uh, and we spent a lot of time in church when I was a kid. We didn't, I didn't grow up in a real Bible-based church. It was kind of like your standard Methodist church. Mm -hmm. So it was more go to church on Sunday and it makes you feel really good. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then we go back once, at least once during the week, like Wednesday night maybe right. or something. Mm -hmm. And sometimes more than that because my parents were involved in the church. Uh, we didn't really, I wouldn't say we lived there or anything, mm -hmm. but it. my parents were, um, and my mom's still alive, so my parents were really good people who lived according to Christian values, I would say, even though they weren't preaching it all the time. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of how I grew up. Yeah. And um, when I was in high school, I remember we moved a lot. Mm -hmm. So I remember going to the church and really liking this pastor. And he actually led his own youth group because it was a small church, so there was no youth gotcha. pastor. <laughs> and the guy just really, I liked him a lot. So mm -hmm. I kind of gravitated to him and paid attention to him. And it kind of helped me probably, I'm not going to say I never did anything that probably wouldn't be, wouldn't <laughs> be considered a sin. I, you know, I did, uh, and probably more than I should have, but it kept me to a certain point on the right road just mm -hmm. because I respected him and my father and looked up to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can speak to that too as like, yeah kind of growing up and that was what you did right like exactly. every Sunday that's how my family was too um was there a point where you actively made your faith your own do you remember that and I would say, yeah yeah I would mm -hmm. say probably um when I was I, I went to school at Butler in oh, Indianapolis yeah. <laughs> I, we talked about that um, met my wife at Butler uh, and we got married, and I had no plans like that at all. I mean, I thought I was going to be a bachelor till I was at least 30, <laughs> but I met Nancy, and that was it. That's all there was to it. So we got married even before I got out of school. And um, once again, I always thought I was a Christian, but then I had to go in the Army because this was back mm. in the Vietnam days. Oh, wow. So I would have been drafted. I joined the Army Reserves, which today get activated all the time, and then did occasionally National Guard or Reserves. Our unit never got activated, so I never mm -hmm. had to go fight or anything. But when I went away to uh, basic training, here I was, newly married, mm -hmm. and I'm taken away out of this marriage, and I'm out of basic training, and we're being told every day by these regular Army people who are running basic that you're going to Vietnam, and wow. you're going to, you know, you may not come home, and you better pay attention. And I, I was just like, in a world that I didn't even understand. Right. So mm -hmm. I would go to chapel every time I got a chance and just really felt close to the Lord. And that I think that changed my life quite a bit, that mm -hmm. if I had not had faith to lean on at that time, it would have been pretty dark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Definitely. but that kind of brought me back every time. And then I'd, 
call Nancy and feel good again. And, yeah. and I kept telling myself every time we went out for a run in the morning, which we did about five miles every morning, over the next hill I'll be home. You know, and mm-hmm. it just made me feel like, and I, and even though I got there and I wasn't home, the next one mm-hmm. I'll be home, and and eventually I got home, so know. it worked out. Acted yeah. as that hope, I yeah. can see that for sure. Yeah. Awesome. And two, looking at Christianity, surrounding it, there can be some common misconceptions. Is there anything that you've experienced, maybe through your line of work or just living your faith day to day, that you'd like a listener to understand better, or? Sure. Just surrounding Christianity in general. Yeah, yeah. And there are, um, and there's probably some hypocrisy in my life. I'm not going to say I'm free of it, but I think what a lot of people see today, uh, I've got some sons who are not as young as you, but they're a lot younger, obviously, than I am because they're my sons, two sons. Mm -hmm. And I talk to them a lot about stuff like this, and they tell me about what their friends say, and in some cases, younger friends. And a lot of them will say... I kind of see Christians as hypocrites. You know, they go to church on Sunday and they talk a good game, but then they live their life throughout the week unlike the faith that they say they're part of. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of that. But there are a lot of really good people as well who really do live it. And and a lot better examples of it than I am, you know, frankly, that I see all the time now of people who just know. And, well, I'll give you an example of, Uh, one side and then the other and this is within the church so we're not free of it within the church even pastors within churches okay so Mm -hmm. I'll talk to a pastor and say I really wish you'd join us in this effort you know bring your church in and let your people serve side by side people from other churches other Christians and other people who you'd get a chance to show the example of your life to and maybe it'd make a difference to them and so they'll say, well, what churches are involved? And I'll tell them, and in some cases, they'll kind of wince when I say the mm-hmm. name of a church. And I'll say, what's, yeah, I noticed that. What was that all about? And they'd say, well, you know, we believe you have to be immersed here to be baptized. And they sprinkle. And I really don't know that we want our people serving with their people. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, look, I understand that there are huge difference in theology everywhere, even within the same church sometimes. But right. what I say is let's take those differences, all those theological differences, and put them behind us and just put in front of us that we're to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's go serve together. Mm-hmm. And some will do that and others just won't. They just are not comfortable and they'll say, well, I'll tell you what, we do some work down in the inner city and our people are serving and we're happy with it the way it is and I think we'll just kind of pass now and we'll talk to you sometime in the future. Hmm. So I say, okay, mm-hmm. thank you and I'll go on my way. And yeah. uh, I got real frustrated at first and I would go home and say to Nancy, I don't know if this is ever gonna work out because I'm getting too much pushback from churches who I thought would jump into this. Right. And she would say to me, you know, there are a lot of other people out there who will go along with us so let's just build it and other people will come around eventually. And we've checked with a lot of people around the country who are doing the same kind of work we're doing and hear, hear the same things. In a lot of cases, the biggest churches think they've got it all together. They don't want to be part of it. And the smaller ones join. And then later, once it's really solid, the bigger ones come I in. I see. So, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the big issues that you'd say Unite Indy um, oh. is really passionate about? Well... Probably the first big divider is poverty, mm. more than anything, is that 
we take Indianapolis, and when I tell some friends of mine, um, do you realize that one out of five people in Indianapolis lives in poverty, mm. and almost one out of three children? I mean, when you say that to people, they'll kind of look at you like, oh, that can't be right. That's impossible. Mm -hmm. And I say, that's because we live in a world where well, I live on the north side. Only because I went to Butler and I kind of and grew up on the north side right. in Indianapolis as far as that is concerned. Mm -hmm. In terms of my married life, and I'll go downtown for a meeting, and I'll get in my car and I'll drive down Meridian Street. Mm -hmm. And I pass the governor's mansion and all these beautiful homes, and I look up at the skyline, and basically I'm saying to myself, what a great city I live in, in the sunny Chamber of Commerce day. You know, mm -hmm. you're kind of patting yourself on the back that you chose this place. It was a great place to raise kids, mm -hmm. and life is wonderful. And what we don't realize is on one block, one way or the other, off Meridian, lives are in chaos, the houses are on fire, a single mom is saying, you know, it's Wednesday and I don't have enough groceries to make it until Friday yeah. when I get paid. Or maybe she doesn't have a job and she doesn't know how they're going to survive. And we're not doing anything about it. And it, how we can wake up in the morning and say that we're Christians and we believe in taking care of our neighbors, how can we pass and not do anything about it? And I think the we see the biggest problem being ignorance of the problem. Uh, most people are good people. You know, God hardwired all of us to be generous. Mm -hmm. That's really in us. It's instinctual uh, because it was put there by our creator. So most people will do something if they know there's a need out there. Mm -hmm. But most people I talk to don't even don't know, know the needs there. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll think, oh, I'll hop on a plane and go to Africa or India or South America, which is all good stuff. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But we've got they need right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd say poverty is the biggest one. And then everything that surrounds that, you've got violent crime that's at an all-time high in mm -hmm. a city where we used to say this is one of the safest places in America. Not so anymore. Mm -hmm. And we've got to do something about that. And that's going to take changing hearts, which is a long-term process. So violent crime, you've got substance abuse, you've got unemployment. You know, we tout all the facts that we're at a all-time low unemployment level in this country, but in some zip codes in Indianapolis, the unemployment rate's over 20%. If you live there, you're poor, you don't have any so money. Reality, it doesn't matter yeah. what the national federal unemployment rate is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to address those issues, working with groups that, of people who care and trying to take some best practices and saying to the city, okay, please work with the faith-based community and let us come in here and help with this. And the city's pretty open to it, so okay. we're in a good place for that. Gotcha. Yeah. And so is a lot of what you're doing educating the public, or is there more um, hands-on with these communities it's too? It's both. both. Yeah, it's both. Okay. It's, uh, we're trying to take what we think are the God-given talents that we have because we came from really the publishing business. We started... Mm. Uh, part of the group that started the IBJ, the Indianapolis Business Journal here, and we started a bunch of them around gotcha. the country. And my cool. wife was editor and eventually publisher, and she's got that background, so she can help us with publicity and writing, and we print pieces mm -hmm. that um, deal with things like racism and deal with this unemployment area and deal with reentry of people coming back to Indianapolis. We've got 4,000 men and women coming back from jail and prison every year into our community. Mm. And 
most of them really just want a job. They want to come back and they want to be a productive member of society. But if they can't find work, a lot of them eventually turn back to what they know, which right. is selling drugs or stealing or whatever it might be. And then they end up back in prison again. And the problem is, in some cases, they'll take some young people along with them. So it starts this kind of endless cycle. So we're working real hard with people on what can we do in the area of reentry to help people mm -hmm. find work? And uh, there's a fellow named Greg Kiesling at uh, uh, a group called Recycle Force, which is a, okay, yeah. a wonderful operation, a not-for-profit that mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the people are ex-offenders, ex-drug uh, addicts, and they give them work doing recycling. And, and Greg will say, it's all about ABC. It's about finding a job, that's A, and finding a better job, that's B, and then finding a career. So he helps people do that. He gives them a job. Then they either get a better job with him or he directs them somewhere else to get a better job and with the idea of just look for that career where you belong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. we're trying to work with people like really that to neat get this organization. done. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And that sounds really great and everything. What would you say to some criticisms, and this has been prevalent, I'd say, in a lot of culture, to yeah. the white savior complex or like mm -hmm. this idea that Christians just go in maybe think they're doing good, but ultimately yeah. might be altering the landscape. Actually too. hurting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the book toxic charity that exactly. deals with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say that what we have to do is be open to learning first. Mm -hmm. When we started Unite Indy, um, not out of any great wisdom, but because I didn't know what I was getting into, I just felt like I was answering a calling. Mm -hmm. So I thought, boy, I want to do this right, because if this truly is a calling, you don't want to mess it up, right? right? So we called this group of urban pastors together, and I stood before them, and I said, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what we're going to do for you, because I don't have a clue what you need. Right. Mm -hmm. So I said, here's what I'd like to do today. We had, I don't know, 80 people there. And we had tables of 10, and we had a table leader at every table. And I said, I'd like to have a conversation. We'd like to ask you three questions, and then just get your responses, and then we'll put those together, and then we'll come back to you and say, here's what we think we heard from you. Please either confirm it or tell me where we're off base. Mm -hmm. So I said three questions. One question is, what are the needs in the community, the top three needs in the communities that are served by your churches. Mm -hmm. So you just look at your own community and say, okay, what are the top three needs? Then we said, what are the top three needs of the church that you serve as pastor? Then what are the top three needs that you have as an individual, as a pastor, as a father, as a mother, as a, you know, mm -hmm. whatever they are. Right, yeah. Just think about that and give us this information. And the floodgates opened up. But the interesting thing was when we took the, um, kind of the majority in each case, it was pretty common. Hmm. There were a mm -hmm. couple that were out there and different, and then we tried to deal with them personally. Mm -hmm. But most of the needs, like jobs in the community, was number one. Without mm -hmm. work and without uh, these men who were not working now, coming back and supporting their families and having the respect of their kids and their community members, yeah. then they'd resort to something else. So that led to crime in some cases. So mm -hmm. they said, we need jobs for our people. So we started focusing on that immediately. Uh, but what we did is we said, we came back and had another meeting after this first one. And we had sent this information out and got confirmation on where we were and everything. 
we said, okay, what we're going to do is approach this kind of like the airlines do when they say to parents, if the mask drops down, put yours yeah. on first. And then when I heard that the first time, I thought, well, I take care of my kids before I put mine on. But then you realize, hey, if I'm not healthy, mm-hmm. I can't take care of them. So we said, we think if you're not healthy, how can you take care of your flock? So what we're going to do is we're going to address those top three issues that you gave us for you first, and then we'll go back to your community next. And we did that. Right. And it was so interesting because it was things like, um, I'm just burnt out. You know, I work like any pastor who hears problems all the time from people. Mm. And they have their own problems, but they don't have anybody to talk to about them, right? True, yeah. So they're hearing problems all the time, all this negative stuff. But on top of that, they're in a poor community, mm-hmm. so they're not even getting paid or they're getting paid so little. That they can't support their own family on that. So they're either living in poverty mm-hmm. or they work a second and sometimes a third job right. just to support their family. So they come home from working all night at FedEx and they've got a message on their phone saying, my nephew was killed last night at you know whatever address, and we don't have enough money to bury him. Pastor, I really need you to help me out here. So they want to go to bed, but what they know they need to do is get on the phone and figure out how to come up with the money to bury this kid mm-hmm. and, and what to do for the family to make them feel good. So things like that. So we found within an hour of Indianapolis three places where they could go for no money if they don't want to leave any money when they leave, where it was like a retreat and it had 40 acres that they could wander and mm-hmm. bring their wives and some were family-oriented places where they could stay for a week if they wanted to. Oh, nice. And if they wanted to leave $5 when they left, that was okay because it was a ministry mm-hmm. that was there to take care of it. So there was no magic. It was just like the Holy Spirit, you know, me saying, what do I do for these people now? And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, it all fit together and some internet searches and uh-huh. it was all there. So that made him feel good. But then the problem is, who's going to preach? I'm the only one to preach. Mm-hmm. So if I leave for the weekend, so we found a local Bible college that was willing to bring students in who were ready to graduate and trained in multicultural ministry. Yeah. yeah. So it was sure. good good for them and it was good for the church. And so right. we just addressed needs, financial yeah. counseling for them that was free and, mm-hmm. you know, confidential. They didn't have to worry about anybody finding out that their finances are a mess, mm-hmm. you know, which they are in some cases because they never had that kind of training either. Mm-hmm. So we just yeah. found sources for him to help him sounds like a lot of dialogue and just like connecting and relationship building which i feel like is faith in general yeah exactly isn't it yeah it's just living out what we've been taught forever Mm -hmm. and interfaith dialogue looking that in particularly what has that what is the value of interfaith dialogue oh i think today today it's so important because of what's going on in the world all the turmoil and upheaval and um just Two days ago, I heard somebody say, uh, a Muslim woman who was driving in her car and somebody was honking at her, like just furiously, and she was thinking, I'm not doing anything. What am I, (laughs) I'm going the speed limit, so I couldn't be holding this person up, but what did I do wrong? And just as she pulls over, this car goes by, and it's got a sticker of another faith. I won't say what it is, because I don't want to create dissension. So she's thinking, not, not sure, but thinking, are they just honking at me and yelling at me because I look different and they probably think that I'm in conflict with them? And, you know, and I just think, I guess what I've learned over the last 
several years of the work I've been doing is we need to stop for a minute and we need to say, okay, here's where I grew up, here's how I grew up, and here's really why I believe what I believe because of all that, because of all that experience and that path, right? Mm -hmm. So if I can just for a minute take myself and put myself in that person's position and say, oh gosh, I think just the way they do. So instead of yelling at them, and instead of get being in conflict about what we think and what we believe, let's first ask some questions and try to understand what that person believes and why they believe it. Mm-hmm. And you might find out that you're not that far off anyway, or you might find out it's just a result of you, you know, you what is it uh, saying is you stand where you sit or something mm-hmm. like that, just mm-hmm. meaning... You know, it is all about kind of where you came from and your experiences and ideas. So I'm just hoping people can take a deep breath Mm -hmm. and say, I'd want to try for a minute to put myself in that other person's position and learn from them Mm -hmm. and then go forward. And then we'd all be better off. Awesome. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for interviewing with me today. It was a pleasure getting to know you. And please connect if you're listening to Unite Indy or the CIC if you want to learn more. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Visit the Center for Interfaith Cooperation.org for more information and ways to get involved. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned.